What I loved the most about it was it was this concept of kind of putting on these goggles where you view life creatively. It's like a way of seeing the world, mm-hmm. a, a way of existing in the world. Um, and then from there, you're less focused on output and more focused on <laughs> the, the energy with which you experience life. And then things come from that. And I think I'd been switching my way of thinking about what success looked like and ambition looked like so much in that year. And then when this job came up, it felt very serendipitous because it felt like this opportunity to really be creative and champion creativity. And the whole theme and concept of this first issue is like a celebration of young Australian creativity. Hello. (laughs) How are you? I'm so excited to bring you guys this episode with the Grace O'Neill, editor of Elle Australia and co-host of everyone's favourite podcast at the moment in Australia, at least, After Work Drinks. In this episode, we dive deep into the process of Elle magazine. It turns out it's actually pretty similar to The Devil Wears Prada with a book and all. We chat about how Grace is running this team, starting something from scratch, and the state of the Australian industry, as well as her inspiration bringing this very juicy, there are many pages in issue one, this magazine to life. We chat through After Work Drinks, how their epic personal podcast based on authentic friendship absolutely exploded. The robust Australian print magazine industry has come back in spades as we hear about in this episode, but Grace has much bigger plans for Elle than just the 250-page mag that you'll hold in your hands from Monday, 4th of March. This is only the beginning for this absolute angel, Grace O'Neill. Grab your issue of Elle Australia and please pour over and appreciate the work and beauty from Australia's best creatives that have worked on the first issue. Before we go any further, I'd love to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land which I recorded with Grace, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to elders past and present. Welcome to Process the Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Thomas, motion director, social strategist, and founder of production company Cinema Tom. A huge thank you to Flaunter for partnering with us on this episode, but more about their incredible PR tool later. If you love this episode, please share it with somebody that you think would also love it. Subscribe or leave a review. We're back at Process. I'm all in, as you may have heard, but I need all the love that I can get to grow. Let's meet Grace O'Neill. It's part of the charm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like anti-ASMR. I want to talk about your podcast, obviously, but I I think we should start with Elle yes. because this is going to come out on the 3rd of March and on the 4th of March, the Elle Australia first issue in print again is yes. coming back. Again. Who is on the cover? It's Sophie Wilde. Oh, I love her. I love her too. I kind of, it was a really amazing kind of weird synchronicity where I was in Paris um, for Paris Fashion Week in September and I bumped into Naomi Smith, who's now our fashion director at Elle, and I'd worked with her previously at Harper's Bazaar and we're at the Loewe show and she said, have you heard Elle's coming back? And I said, yeah, so exciting. I was living, kind of still am living in London. Um, And she kind of said, would you consider like editing it or would you, not would you, like she was offering me the job, but would you, Yeah. would, would it be something you'd be interested in doing? And I just obviously thought yes, um, but didn't know how the logistics would work or what that would look like. And then two seconds later, I bumped into Sophie <sighs> and I just remember thinking if I ever, like if I did a job at L, the first person you'd have to put on the cover would be Sophie. She just embodies wow. everything about what I think L is. I think she's a genius actress. I think she represents the future of Australian creatives and stardom. Wow. She's just, I just adore her. So feel very happy and full circle that it kind of ended up um, all working out. I'm very, very happy with it. Wow. So when did you get offered the job as editor? I, it was all very quick. We started talking pretty soon after that chat in September, maybe it was start of October. And then I think it happened within a number of weeks. And then I was back here by the end of November to start on the issue. As in four months ago? Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's been a whirlwind. I've been here since then and it feels like it's gone in two weeks. Have you let go of your role at Harper's? Yes. So I left Bazaar to do the L job, um, which, you know, 
I absolutely loved working with Jillian and mm-hmm. the team. Like she's just an icon. It was such an incredible time and experience. And I'd been on Bazaar for quite a long time. There's been a lot of mag things of blending the Bazaar and L teams and then pulling them uh, not together again. Mm. Um, so I've worked across Bazaar and L. Um, but I loved that experience working with Jill at Bazaar. But um, it's a pretty hard thing to say. Yeah, no too to get to <laughs> helm your own thing. It was very, very exciting. So wow, yeah, but big. You know, when you first start a creative project, there's a momentum that just begins bubbling away in your body, in your gut. You're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. Oh my god, that would be cool. Like, what were the first couple of weeks for you like when you took on the job and you were like, all right. And what did you think it was going to look like? I think the big kind of guiding, it was really interesting that the job came up when it did because I feel like I'd been on a big internal personal journey last year that was very informed by reading Rick Rubin's book. Ah, uh, yes. Have you read it? Mm-hmm. It's like such a That's one of thing. the reasons that I came back to doing this podcast. I love that. It's, it yeah. literally changes lives. I, I think I was in, I'd moved to London um, just before COVID and I think that period had been I'm lucky to say, like was kind of restful and restorative and was this opportunity to slow down after these long years working in magazines and being quite burnt out. Um, But I do think I got into a bit of a kind of creative rut and I think reading that book just shook me out of whatever that was. Mm -hmm. And what I loved the most about it was it was this concept of kind of putting on these goggles where you view life creatively. It's like a way of seeing the world, Mm -hmm. a a way of existing in the world. Um, And then from there, you're less focused on output and more focused on (laughs) the the energy with which you experience life. And then things come from that. And I think I'd been switching my way of thinking about what success looked like and ambition looked like so much in that year. And then when this job came up, it felt very serendipitous because it felt like this opportunity to really be creative and champion creativity. And the whole theme and concept of this first issue is like a celebration of young Australian creativity. We're really tapping into the next gen of amazing young makeup artists and amazing young actors. And we have this huge portfolio on the new gen of comedians and bakers and chefs. And it's, it's just about kind of tapping into that groundswell of young Australian creativity, which to me feels so noticeable from coming back now from the UK after four years, there's something really tangible that I can feel Mm -hmm. being back in Sydney and Melbourne. People are engaging with their creativity in a much more exciting way. So it kind of felt like those things all came together. What would you say are the the key things that are different about Elle and how you're going to do things differently? You know, I worked at, at, I don't want to call it, Elle's had so many iterations yeah. as well, which is something that I didn't fully appreciate until I got the job and I went to Paris and I went back through all the archives of Australian Elle going back to the 90s, which was so fun. Um, Elle's had like multiple iterations in Australia and every single one has been incredible. Mm. And the the last iteration of Elle I worked on, I think I was an intern there from maybe the first year that it started and I was working there up until it closed in 2019 um, with some periods on and off. But I saw that whole journey. I loved and adored that magazine. Um, And I think that the things that are staying the same and the things that I fell in love with is the fact that Elle is this magazine that blends that super beautiful, elevated fashion and beauty Mm -hmm. um, sort of access with really meaty and substantial features and really intelligent writing Mm. and this kind of substance and depth that um, I do think is kind of unique in the market. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that nailing that balance was something that was really, really important to me. And in terms of what's different, I think it's just, they're probably things that I can't even articulate well or, or see in terms of just my own aesthetic eye. Like Mm. the style that I like is quite minimal. I think there's a lot of nods you'll see to 90s L and the kind of sexiness Mm. and paired backness of that time. Um, My taste in, you know, 
fashion tends to veer towards that area too. So I think there will be a sort of aesthetic stamp on it um, that feels new and fresh. Um, but I don't know if I'm almost the best person to articulate it. I think yeah. the real the real thing that I wanted to hone in on was this idea of championing and heroing and being an incubator for young new Australian talent. Mm. I think that that's what L is exists to be. And we have worked with, as well as, you know, as I talked about the creatives portfolios and the people that we champion and having Sophie on the cover, we've also commissioned the most amazing young Australian writers to write real in-depth, yeah. deep portfolios. Breeley's written a 3,000-word story for this issue. Like, you just don't tend to see yeah. that in fashion magazines anymore. Um, I think that's another point of difference for me is just how much I love writing mm. and how much I love to see the kind of deep, nuanced, well-researched, well-reported essays and writing that you just don't get to really see anywhere else in mm. in media now, just in the sense that with digital, it's harder and harder to find the time. It's Absolutely. Hard, yeah. And everything is seven seconds. <laughs> exactly. It's just nuts. Like it's, it's really, really difficult. And I wanted to carve out a space where you could find that kind of writing um, mm. in Australian magazines. So, yeah. So many questions. I'll start with <laughs> the fact that it's coming out twice yes. this year and then four times next year. Yes. Is it going to be chunky and coffee table-y? It's huge. It's 250 oh. pages. <laughs> okay. How much? How many pages is the common March issue? In like, say between 130 to okay. 100 and <gasps> maybe 80. Okay. So it's big. 250 pages, um, 50 ads, which is big, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 200 well, I mean, pages. Someone's got to pay project. for it, right? I know. I know. <laughs> We're very, like, thrilled about that. And it's... um. Yeah, it's a huge, huge amount of it is written by us, shot by us, produced. Is that like the chunkiness of like the US September issue? Okay, I think the biggest, I looked this up the other day, we were talking about this, the biggest one ever was 920 pages. Oh my goodness. Which is hard to even imagine. That's like... Encyclopedia. You could knock someone out with that. This is is big for 2023, 250-page mags. Yeah, okay. Pretty incredible. And, and, And there's just things like... The paper stock. I was at the printers this morning looking at the proofs, the size of the book, the foil we have on the masthead. It's just a very beautiful, beautiful, lovingly. Um, I'm obsessed that you were at the printer. I was out there Silver Lake this morning. Wow. Oh, I Silver Lake, it's Silver Water. I'm calling it Silver I'm not Lake from like here, so I'm not. Whatever, Silver Lake. Fuck it. Silver Lake. Um, yeah, I was literally there. So you guys really went fun. to print last night. We've started printing last night, today, tomorrow, which is nuts. By the way, everyone, it's Feb 15 when we're recording this. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's... Oh, fuck, it's my brother's birthday and I haven't texted him. <laughs> fuck, okay, thank you. Don't do it now. No, you might forget. Oh, fuck. That's so bad of me. <laughs> I have done that before. Um, he doesn't listen, so anyway. Yeah, that's okay. He, um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's crazy. And I think I have worked on mags for nearly 10 years and send, you know, quote, unquote, send always feels slightly stressful and crazy, but it's mm-hmm. just a whole different ball game when you're in yeah. charge of everything and you're answerable for everything. And there's just so many elements the first time doing it that... Um, you're just learning as you go and it's so fun and it's so exciting, but it's, yeah. Are there people of a higher caliber holding your hand? Yes. Right. Yes. And how does that structure work? So Nikki Brigger um, mm-hmm. is so iconic. She was editor of Marie Claire for a long period of time. She's just become the general manager of fashion and beauty at Our Media, mm-hmm. who publish Elle. So she is someone that I had met and known through the industry and just adored. Um, and she's the one who hired me for the job. Right. So her job sees her oversee Marie Claire, Elle and Girlfriend, which just came back in print for the first time mm-hmm. too, which is super cool. Um and basically she's just been this incredible beacon of... Yeah. I heard her speak at the B&T Women in Media Awards last year mm-hmm. and she was just so cool. I was like, oh. She's the best. She's one of the funniest people I've ever met. She's so smart. Um, I just have found the whole process so much more enjoyable. Mm. I, I'm a big believer in even if things are stressful and there's hard deadlines and you're trying to get a lot done, 
enjoying your work and mm-hmm. having an, an enjoyable, nice atmosphere. And I think that it's just made the whole experience being able to do it with her. Yeah. I just, yeah. Love her. So in terms of handholding, how have you, what's the process there? Are you, is she just on speed dial for you? Is she doing kind of check-ins with you like weekly being like, how are you going? What are you up to? Like that is wild. I don't come from magazine world. I could tell you how to run a film set, but in terms of explaining how you came to begin in November to going to print now, Mm. what is that process? Obviously it's fucking enormous, but yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of the the actual process... Oh, my God, was there a book like in Devil Wears Prada? We do have a book. It's it's. Do you carry it home at night? I, I have carried it <laughs> home at night. It yeah. feels so much... Often it's me like hopping on the 333. It like doesn't feel quite as glamorous as the Devil Wears <laughs> Miranda Prada. Priestley. Miranda Priestley on the bus. Um, I, yeah, there is, but it's it's... You basically start from what's called a grid and it's just a grid of every page of the magazine. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, with any magazine that's as, you know, historic as Elle, there's a kind of structure that there's 45 international editions, which is crazy. And I went to Paris and spent a huge amount of time at Legadaire with the international team there um, being sort of immersed in the brand history. There's a lot of um, structure around what an L looks like. So in some ways you do have the bones of... Being like the travel is usually at the back, like yeah, that kind of thing, exactly. right? Yeah. The fashion well is a certain size. There's a big, beautiful beauty section. Yeah. There's culture up the front. You know, there's a kind of structure like there. and Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the flow works and makes sense. And that's because it's been finessed over yes. decades. Um, and then within that, you kind of... The fun part, I guess, is going in and reading and looking at every international edition and then other magazines and then the archives of the magazine and kind of pulling and piecing together how you're going to put your individual identity on this structure Mm -hmm. and then slowly filling out what that looks like. That's the really fun part. I think for me as a, what I consider a a creative ideas person, I always get the most joy out of the first brain dump let's see how big we can take this and no ideas, a crazy idea, thinking big thing. And then it obviously becomes reining it in. Where will that sit in the magazine? Who are we going to get to write this? How will this fit with the flow? Do we have enough of this? How Mm. does it work? If you sat and read every single one of these stories back to back, what would you be missing? Is there enough humor? Is it too heavy? Are we touching on, you know, it's, it's a kind of game of Tetris sometimes it feels like trying to put all of these ideas together in a way that makes sense and will be enjoyable and not getting bogged down too far in one direction or another, not getting too tied to a theme and losing the looseness and and fun and joy that will actually make it enjoyable to read. And who keeps you accountable? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I... to go back to the Nikki question, we sit next to each other. We're talking all day, every oh, day. Like, okay. And that's just comes from the fact that it's being a relaunch issue, you're doing the whole thing kind of mm. again from scratch. So every single page is being designed from scratch, all of the codes and the styles that are going to make this L distinctive and its own um, and new and unique. And you're doing that with... Um, a new team that you're meeting for the first time Mm. in a relatively short amount of time. So as much support as humanly possible is just needed. So I've always just felt like having an extra set of eyes to help me has been really, really helpful. But ultimately it's been a really amazing experience to actually take the lead and own something and realise that the accountability really begins and stops with me. I've quite loved that more than I thought I would. I I like the pressure of it and I like knowing that every single thing will get done if I just stay across it all and stay kind of on my ball game. How big is your team? It's hard to say because... Because there's freelancers and there's free, yeah, I would yeah. say you know, we're looking at about sort of 10 to 15 people, mm-hmm. um, some in the office full-time, some remote, and then sort of additional contributors on top of that. So wow. it's good. And they're all amazing. It's it's just such a wonderful creative crew of people. Um, 
So it's been, yeah, it's been great. You mentioned that the magazine will have your personal minimal style across it and a bit of 90s and all that. How do you communicate that particular style and your gaze to a bunch of new people? Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm working with um, Paulina Page Ortega as is our creative director, and we worked together on Parfum, which was an independent mm-hmm. magazine that we launched a couple of years ago with Monica Nakada, who is again amazing. I've just been like so spoiled with the publishers and editors I've worked for, um, and so we have a really good shorthand. And her aesthetic style right. is very aligned with mine. And I think having had that experience over a couple of years of learning how to communicate with each other and realizing that when we go, she goes to create mood boards, it often has things on it that I've already had in my brain or reference. We're very aligned in that way. Um, So I think from a design perspective, it's been great because she kind of knows what I'm thinking Mm. before I even have to articulate it. And then with fashion, Naomi as well is, is a stylist who... I just love her work. And again, we just happen to be very, very aligned aesthetically with what we like. All of our Mm. references are very similar. We like this kind of slightly androgynous, tomboyish, cooler, slightly 90s. Mm. So who put you all together? Um, So Naomi. uh, So I hired Paulina. Right. Um, Naomi, I had worked with her on Harper's Bazaar and Elle as fashion director. Um, And then... Marie Claire came into the fold when it was Bauer. It's like mm-hmm. such a the media. It's the very incestuous in Australia. It's out is just crazy. insane. <laughs> so, Pac Mags merged with Bauer. Mm-hmm. This all happened just after I'd gone to London, and that brought in Marie Claire and InStyle with Harper's Bazaar and Elle. Mm-hmm. And then, very sadly, in 2020, Bauer kind of cashed out. It was bought by R Media, who have been incredible, um, and. In style, Elbe and Bazaar Print all stopped printing yeah. for that period during COVID. Um, Bazaar's come back, In Style's come back, and now Elbe's come back in print. So Naomi went to Marie Claire as fashion director from where she'd been fashion director okay. at Elbe. So it was a very natural yeah. move that she would be back on Elbe as fashion director. Okay, right. When I came in. So it's a roundabout explanation. But um, yeah, so that was another reason that I was very excited to take the job on because it just makes it so much easier when you are working with someone who you kind of implicitly trust their taste. (laughs) What would a day in your life pre-going to print look like? Probably not the chaos of the past week that you would have had. This one is a long... (laughs) I don't know my name. (laughs) Um, It's, it's, I mean, it's great. It's, it's very varied and it depends, I guess, yeah, on where you are in the print cycle. Mm. But say, you know, a month ago, it's basically you're either shooting, commissioning, editing, subbing. There's some stage. What's subbing? So subbing is when copy, which is text, comes in. Okay. And you're basically going through it, working with the writer, tightening it up, seeing if it needs any additional details, just kind of strengthening the piece. I love that part mm-hmm. of, I mean, this is this is what I've loved so much about this experience is because my background is as a writer, I know that I love words and writing and I knew that would be a big priority, but I also really, really love the fashion and visual side mm-hmm. of it. So it's been very fun to get to have a hand in both. Um, so it could be anything from, you know, a shoot's happened and the first set of pictures come in from a photographer and you're sitting with the fashion director and creative director going through and picking selects and Mm. making notes for retouching. And then you might be working with our copy director, Alex English, who's incredible. Um, She's also our features editor. She might be sending me a story that she's done a first edit on to sense check that it's in the right place. Um, The designers, Tash and Danny, might be sending me a layout and asking if everything's looking okay on the page. Um, And everything, it's kind of this big moving beast that nothing's quite fully finished until it's gone. You know, like little changes are happening Mm -hmm. right up to the wire there's so many stages in the process of a layout getting made to it being finalized. It's ping-ponging back and forth between so many different people for so long um, that it's it's a lot of just looking at what's in front of you in that moment and making a judgment call on it mm. and then moving on to the next thing. That's what it feels like a lot of the time. 
how have you gone being thrown into something where you're a leader? And what, like, did anything surprise you? I've, it surprised me how much I've enjoyed it. It surprised me that I think I've, I've always been a naturally anxious person Mm. and there's something about this experience. I think anxiety is very much about living in the future and there's something about this experience that has been so kind of hectic and all-consuming that it's it's forced me to be very much in the moment every single like moment. Very present. Grounded yeah, very present. In, yes, yeah, exactly. Because things are depending on you right now. Yeah, and you have wow. to make calls that have um, not a high, but like big calls a lot. Mm. So you really have to be, whatever you're looking at, you have to be on that thing and doing that as best as you can. And there's been something about that that has just been really... Um, calming for my brain in this really Mm. nice way. There's fires that come up constantly that are just part of the job, just weird little things go wrong. There's tech problems, there's things, there's an issue with something. (laughs) Someone's sick on the day of a shoot and you've got it like that. That's happening constantly. And I think what surprised me is how I've always felt quite calm and able to respond to those moments in a way that I might not have guessed I would be able to before. I don't jump to panic, oh my God, this is crazy, what's going to happen mode, I tend to jump to this is solvable, this is fine and just wanting to make sure that everyone else in the team is okay and calm and sort of responding to my energy. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's something that has surprised, I've surprised myself and I, I feel quite proud of that as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I'm so excited to read it. Thank you. It feels weird to be, I think I'm just so, it's like when you've been staring at, you're staring at, you come up with an idea and you obviously every idea you think is like the best thing ever. And then there's this <laughs> process of it, it getting commissioned and done and finished and everything in there I think is phenomenal. But you know, when you've just been staring at something for so long, mm. that you just can't even. Yeah. You're like, it's, it's probably just yeah. a mass of like yes. color and words and swirl anymore. And you just don't know. I yeah. feel like by the time this comes out, I'll have this nice distance to be able to go back and get excited and appreciate it all again. Cause so there's you're, so much in there. You're going back to London? I'm going to Perth on Saturday because my family's in Perth. Okay. Um, and I'll be there for 10 days and then... As a little vacay? It's sort of a vacay. We've got so much. We're doing the cover with Sophie and then we're doing five digital covers. So you haven't shot... Well. So we've shot, shot kind of six covers. <laughs> so, but you haven't shot the cover, but it's going to print today. So they've all been shot. They're all in the magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. but the the actual covers. I was like, is wait, yeah. this is so your schedule is <laughs> doing six more shoots next week. I'm in Perth. What? It's fine. Um, no, so we've got okay. a huge the the kind of digital rollout of everything is is going to be massive and okay. it's a huge again very exciting part of it. And wow. um, I think that's going to be all finesse through the next couple of weeks. So I'll be in Perth, but still working. But I just. I, I need to see my mom. Yeah, 100%. Like need you need a hug. hug. Yeah. You need her to make you a cup of tea exactly. the way she makes it. A hundred percent. I've been here staying with my in-laws who are the best, like the best. Um, so amazing. They're like kind of second parents and um, it's been so good. But yeah, you know, you just, yeah. you, you want to be kind of a brat sometimes. Mm-hmm. You want to like go My mom lands in Sydney bigger. tonight and I can't wait to hug her. So nice. Oh, she's the best. There's nothing like your mom. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. Yeah. So. Especially after you've just done so much hard work and you think that you're proud of yourself, but like the the, the hug. Yes. When they share their pride is just means so much more. A hundred percent. I I can't wait. I know. I know. We had That's a... so nice. What's yeah, her name? A Coral. Coral. Yeah, oh, I know. I She's love the that. best. We're going to take a quick break while I tell you about our episode partner, Flaunter. If you're a brand, agency, creator, or work in the media space, we've got something very exciting for you this week. Flaunter is the ultimate all-in-one PR tool and processes partnered with them for this episode. Imagine a space where brands and media seamlessly connect, create, and collaborate. For brands and agencies, Flaunter is your one-stop shop. Have your brand or suite of brands instantly become accessible to thousands of aligned media professionals. Tap into an extensive network of influencers and stylists 
and be the first to receive media call-outs and collaboration opportunities. And for our media and creative friends, your hunt for the perfect story or product ends at Flaunter. Gain access to millions of high-resolution, ready-to-publish images, press releases, product samples, and brand and PR contacts. Free, ready-to-publish content is just a click away. If you're ready to elevate your PR efforts, click the link in the show notes to start your journey with Flaunter. Because when it comes to PR, Flaunter is not just a tool, it is your key to PR success. I signed up for Flaunter a couple of weeks ago and I was very excited about the brands that are already on Flaunter and you could see all their lookbooks, you could request some pieces. It's a very, very cool tool and I am excited for our readers to find out more. Head to the link in the show notes of this episode to learn more. Yes, I will admit we do get a teeny tiny little kickback if you go via our affiliate link to access Flaunter. So head over As I said before, we need all the love that we can get. And now back to the episode. So talk to me about After Work Drinks. Yes. Your co-host. Is she in London? She's in LA. She's in New York right now. And she lives in LA. She lives in LA. So when did that podcast come about? So we launched it in... That's a really good question. I think it was 2018. So pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. We were both working in mags. I was at... We met working at Bazaar. Izzy had gone to Marie Claire and Instyle mm-hmm. and was working with Nikki. It's all just a very mm-hmm. small world in Australian media. Um, and we were great friends and just, I don't know, it was like podcasts were just starting off, it felt like, and we just kind of, I think we saw, we both talked about the fact at the time that there was that moment when we were in uni where, you know, influencers or bloggers as they were called then, there was like this tipping point. And if you kind of got in at this time, it just, you exploded. And once that moment kind of passed, it became really, really hard to Mm -hmm. get in amongst the noise. And we kind of felt like with podcasting, we saw that in Australia, that tipping point hadn't happened yet. And if we kind of just got in and started making something, even if it started off a bit rough and we didn't quite know where it was going, we'd at least just have this jump head start. Yeah. Um, And I think that proved to be a good instinct. It's been really interesting growing the podcast because it's not something that it's a very sort of organic thing where we've always said if it's not feeling fun anymore, we're just going to stop. It's, mm-hmm. It hasn't, it, it's ironically turned into a successful business and something that is a pretty sizable chunk of our income now. Um, but it's always felt like it's got to be a fun thing and we've got to still be friends and we've got to enjoy doing mm-hmm. it because it's a very strange thing to monetize your friendship with someone you're very good friends with and then almost have to get on twice a week and be bantering and jolly and saying yeah. when there's highs and lows of any friend. It just, we we haven't always put this huge emphasis on growth and marketing and getting it bigger as much as we've just wanted it to appeal to our people. Yeah. Um, and to have fun while we're there doing it. There definitely yeah. is your people. <laughs> How? I have so many questions about this. How did you guys come to have your isms? Because like, they're, yeah. like, you've got them printed on hats. You've got all the things. Like, did were they accidents? Because I feel yeah. like I look at your careers and the podcast, and obviously, like, it was quite strategic, the timing of it all. You haven't just fallen into, you know, how there are those stories of like, we were just doing it. And then all of a sudden it was a huge success. Like you chose yeah. a timing and the candor and the frequency, there are choices being made. So with the isms and things that have come up with after work drinks, did you guys make choices about that? Or was it just something that you guys fell into in that sense with the, like yeah. even, what was your post today? I don't even know how you say it. The J. Oh, Jada. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, uh, so Jada, for example, yes. the, my partner's Assyrian and it's an Assyrian word that his family uses all the time. And mm-hmm. it kind of just means like, oh, poor thing. Like, right, right, right. And we just started saying it, Izzy and I, because it's so funny and it, it, like, there's no English equivalent word for it. Yeah. Because it's not cruel and mean. It's just, it's kind of saying someone's, slightly tragic, but in a way that we're all jada, like we embrace our inner jada. It's not, it's, it's, 
it's kind of a like a philosophy. But we they're all just accidental. It's really funny. That side of it, I think when we started, we did a live show recently and that was really fun because it was actually our first experience. We kind of started it in Australia, then moved to London. Yeah. And the pandemic happened and our audience is largely Australian. We've never been back in Australia at the same time since we started really to be able to do like an audience facing yeah, event yeah, before. Yeah. So we 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 did that recently and that was so fun to kind of and insane and surreal to see the people who listen every week in person. Um but it was funny because we 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 called it our eras tour and we went back through all the different eras of AWT <laughs> on stage and we um, were playing the first episodes that we did and they were very structured and they had an opening and they had a kind of concept to them and they're obviously very influenced by the high-low and there's a kind of, um, not forced, but there's a... Like a formality. A formality Mm. to it because we just had so few points of references. And I think we had a couple of breakthrough moments where we would be sitting and talking before recording. One I remember, for example, is is horrible, but it was Grace Mullane was a a woman who was murdered by a Tinder date in New Zealand. Mm. And I just remember we had all of these topics planned out and it was all structured and we always wanted to do one sort of highbrow topic and one lowbrow topic and touch on the news and all of these sort of things. And we were just talking about that case and I think it was 2018 and it was at a peak time of women talking more candidly about, you know, their experiences. And we just had this long, having this long chat about realizing how unfair it is that we don't feel safe walking around and and things that probably feel quite obvious now in 2024. But we just had this moment where we said, let's just record this. This is, it's called After Work Drinks. It's meant to be what Mm. women are just sitting, talking about with their friends. Um, And we just recorded ourselves talking in this totally unprepared, ranty, in circles um, conversation for 50 minutes and just uploaded it. And we had this huge spike and jump in listeners that week. And, and, And we kind of just realized that the less forced we made it, the more it resonated. Um, And I think another time was, again, we had a bunch of content ready to talk about and then Fleabag season one had just come out or something. And again, it sounds so obvious in retrospect, but at the time it was was like that moment where people were just cottoning onto it, but it wasn't Mm. this phenomenon yet. And we just talked for 45 minutes about why we were so obsessed with it and the nuances of it that it tapped into with women. And um, that went... Like crazy, it's mm. it's been those have been the moments where we've whenever we've got too far into territory of it being too constrained, it's stopped resonating or we've just stopped enjoying it. And yeah. I think that's the 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 freedom of it and the best part of it is that the product, if you want to call it that, is us being happy and enjoying ourselves. And people, I think, are listening far less to get you know hot takes on political topics as they are just listening to two friends. Mm. That's the core thing. Yeah. Um, And that's the feedback we get all the time. People who are breastfeeding and feeling, you know, like alone and isolated from their friends or people during the pandemic or people who have had illness and away from, you know, in a hospital. It's There's really touching stories people have shared with us, but the, the number one theme mm. is if it, it feels like they're hanging out with friends. <laughs> and I think Has that, it been yeah. weird sharing so much of your life on the mic and then people like coming up to you and knowing so much about you? I think that I have a natural like proclivity away from doing that. And I think that Izzy is her natural state is to be far more open. And I think that's an amazing trait. So I don't I don't feel that there's that much of my life that I have shared in a mm. way um, in the same way that maybe Izzy has. But it is a funny, it's a funny experience when you meet someone like we did at the live show where they have, yeah, like an intimate experience of you and you're just meeting them for mm. the first time. But there was this really nice vibe or energy about that experience where it did 
everyone just felt like a cool person that yeah. we actually would want to meet and hang out with. Yeah. So it was kind of fine. But I listened yeah. to the episode that you guys were debriefing after mm-hmm. the live show and you said that like a whole group of girls met up and went to the pub. Yes. And all of that. So you guys have definitely like cultivated community. And before I hit record, we were talking about how very loosely I'm going all in on this. Yeah. Amazing. How have you found building a community and do you have any tips? I think, um, yeah, the community thing is so incredible that um, the thing you just referenced was that 16 girls bought tickets to our live show who had either flown in from interstate or didn't have Mm. someone to go with. And we set up, or Izzy set up, um, a, I'm really hate being on social media. So Izzy manages a lot of the yeah. social side. Um, she set up a group chat and they all got in a chat, all these girls who hadn't met before yeah. and yeah, went to the pub and they were in the front row and they were like rowdy, fun hooligans. They, I thought they would have been best friends forever. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that's, it's an incredible thing to see. And it really did give me this kind of second wind with the podcast seeing that because it's such yeah, a special thing. Yeah, I think the, the only advice I can really give, and it might sound trite, but is just being as as honest and authentic as humanly possible yeah. and not getting too, which I think you do, <laughs> not getting too caught up in worrying about, is this how you're supposed to do it? Or is yeah. this, I've listened to this thing and it's, I've even made a concerted effort not to listen to some podcasts that I really like because I can hear myself talking like them, like yeah. or using mannerisms that they use or changing the way I approach talking because they're, it's it's not even an intentional thing. It's just in your brain. If you admire something or yeah. love it or excited by it, um, you're likely to get stuck in your head that that's the correct way to do something. Yeah. Um, so I think that as, as close as it feels to, yeah, something that you actually want to listen to, <laughs> Yeah, two of my girlfriends, and I wanted to tell you about this. Nina Abrahams is a brilliant graphic designer based in Melbourne. She's a very good friend of mine. She loves it. And Jen, who is incredible at PR, she's killing it at the moment. They were not friends. She Nina was wearing a jarret. How do you say it? It takes a certain (laughs) movement of the tongue I haven't gotten down. She was wearing that cap. Jen walked across the street having never met Nina before, said, hey, I love your hat. They immediately had a chat and Nina said her whole body language changed because she was talking to somebody that got after work drinks. That's so nice. I actually think Jen emailed me the other day and told me the story. Yeah. That's so good. She probably did because I I think Jen's killing it and she's great. Jen will definitely probably listen to this. Hey, Jen, what's up? Hi, Jen. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I didn't reply to your email. (laughs) She'll get there. She's been busy. She's been busy. Um, How have you found commercializing that for monetization? How did monetization come up for you guys? We were quite fortunate in that we kind of just said when we started it, we we were very low touch. We taught ourselves to edit. We bought mm. two mics that we were still using up until honestly like a year ago. We didn't start getting our editor in until I want to say a couple of years in, like well beyond the point where we could afford an editor. Mm. I don't know why it just didn't cross our minds, <laughs> <laughs> which is very us. Um, so it was a, we kind of just said, let's just do it and see what happens. And if we can make some money from it, great. And if not, it's an experience. And um, we just were quite fortunate that I think we started at a time where brands were cottoning on to podcasting and just wanting to try. And I think literally by our second episode, we had a brand. I'm tr- it was Puppier. They're like a stationary brand. That oh, yeah, very yeah. podcast-y. And they just reached out to us. And this was, I think this was, it's probably harder to imagine now, but this was a time where there was literally probably 30 podcasts in yeah. all of Australia. Like yeah. I remember the Kit Girls shared a screenshot of our podcast and we were number one in the charts for like four days. It was just this crazy amazing kind of, you know, wild west of Australian podcasting time. And um, yeah, so they just reached out and said, how much for an ad? And we just said, I don't know, like, I can't even remember what we said. (laughs) And they said, yes. And we were like, great. So it kind of, that started pretty quickly. And then we signed with Acast and Mm -hmm. Acast basically just handle the whole side of it. They do. They have their own ads team. They basically bring us briefs or they bring us um, pre-existing reads Mm -hmm. that we just have to do the reads for. Um, So that's all pretty 
was was just really seamless from the get-go. But the biggest game changer for us was launching Patreon. Yeah. And I think it was this big, we kind of realized there was a period of time where I think we were trying to be something that we weren't and we were trying to exist as this very mainstream product and the visual idea, like I just remember us going for a walk around the canals in the UK and it was kind of the depths of lockdown and we were just talking and we were just saying that it doesn't feel like what this podcast looks like and sounds like it's actually reflective of what we want it to be. It's not, it's just not quite there yet. And we really decided to niche down and Mm -hmm. to just say some weeks we're literally just going to talk about how we feel like we can't find, I don't know, a pair of sandals that aren't embarrassing this summer. Like, you know, just like yeah. just whatever's on our tiny little brains. We're just gonna we're just gonna bring yeah. that and talk about that. We're not gonna force um celebrity or cultural news stories if we don't have the gusto to yeah. actually talk about them. We're gonna just lean into it being two girls just having these kind of weird, sometimes slightly bizarre conversations where they're actually drinking and they're actually just chatting and debriefing on their week. And we found that as we channeled that more, the following kind of plateaued, but it steadily grew and the engagement was really, really, really high. Mm -hmm. And when we decided to launch Patreon, that was, I think, a very smart decision of ours because we were leaning into being a bit of a, if you know, you know, it's yeah. a cult following. You're not going to see it anywhere. You're going to have to be told by someone yeah. you know who loves it. And the people that are going to tell their friends are going to tell friends who they know will like it. Mm. It's kind of that energy. Um, and Patreon was, a, from a sort of business financial standpoint, was a game changer. Yeah. Um, wow. But it's not like that. For, it's like every business is... Yeah, different, you know, that's just mm-hmm. our thing that works because we have with like the in-jokes and the hats and the mm. thing and the whatever, like that all is, that just is what works for us and we kind of lean into that. So you do two episodes a week? Yes, we do one main episode and one Patreon and sometimes we do three episodes a month and it's usually just if we're too busy. <laughs> So you've got the flexibility to be like, guys, we're just too busy. Yeah, we kind of like keeping people on their toes. We're like, (laughs) but we're very loyal to the Patreon. Like Mm. we that will Christmas thing. There is we went on a big month break last year, and there was a new episode every single week that we pre-recorded. Like we're very, um, but yeah, we love doing the the main episode as well. Um, But yeah, we kind of we kind of just like it's like the vibe thing. We we don't want to get on when we're both stressed and pissed off and have no yeah. time and are under-researched and don't know what we're talking about and deliver something yeah, it's crap. Like, oh, it's, it's in my Google calendar. Fuck. Yeah, it's like we'd rather just say, we're just not going to do one this week. Yeah, Let's get everyone sure. excited, yeah. Have you found that it's tricky working in an industry like writing and fashion where everything is, as you said, down to the very last minute changed and tweaked and perfected? Mm-hmm to going into something so loose where you're just chatting? Yeah, I think so. We definitely had, I think when we started, we, because it's a very, it's a very strange thing where you're having a very intimate conversation with Mm. someone that you're not, the audience is invisible to you. Mm. um, And you don't, especially when we were starting off, we didn't really imagine people listening to it. Um, And I think that we had a bit of a steep learning curve at the start of, you're being candid and and funny and fun and honest, but like that you can't just say anything that you want or what mm-hmm. you would actually say, you know, yeah. to your friend. You're on the mic. Yeah, you're on the mic. And <laughs> yeah. we're now at a point where I think it's like we don't have a crazy insane listenership compared to some other podcasts, but it's like a good 25,000 people a week to listen. Like yeah. it's a, a size, if you saw that in a room, like that would freak us out. We had I think 400 people at the live show and that was so intimidating. We don't think of it that way. Um, but yeah, I think there's just been a natural move towards just yeah. understanding what, and I'm definitely more, I, uh, more on the side of being careful. There's just little things that we'll laugh or joke about that yeah, I'll go you, back in and edit afterwards because I just... Are you I like, just, fuck, I'm the editor of L now. I can't be saying that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I think what's funny about it is I think that that the the authenticity and honesty of that podcast I think has really resonated with a group of women who are the exact kind of people that mm. I want to read L. And I think if I suddenly lost that and started being, you know, very diplomatic and and boring and not saying anything with mm. anything ever on the podcast, I don't think that would work. Um, I don't, I think I've always had that in my brain. So I don't feel like there's something that's changed hugely since yeah. this job because I felt the same way when I was global content editor of Harper's Bazaar. You know what mm. I mean? Like the whole time we've had this podcast, um, I've had that awareness in my brain. And I think that there's a kind of, um, I don't know, I just think that people talk and post on social media and speak so much more candidly and honesty, mm. honestly now than in the past. You see the way that people comment and interact and engage on TikTok um, who work big media jobs. There is just, yeah. you know, it's it's just the way of the world now, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it is interesting. I'm trying to think of a recent one that was really funny that's a good example of this. But I, I'll see if one comes to mind. Yeah, she went to yeah. paint yesterday, guys. Yeah. Give a break. How, you're still involved in Parfum? No. So Parfum is, I mean, I'm cheering Parfum on from afar yeah. because it's my favorite thing ever. It's um, It just doesn't work to be an editor of two yeah. magazines at the same time mm-hmm. that are made in Australia. Um, but whatever Monica does with the next editor will be phenomenal. I like can't wait to see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's I met her about five years ago, I think, when I was just getting started. And it was at a time that, that she was really changing things. But I should reconnect with her. She was so sweet. She's so iconic. Do you know her Mm. backstory? She like founded Oyster Magazine when she was... I was like, I'm in the presence of greatness. Literally. It's crazy. She was, I think... It was when it was was an online store Twenty that I met her. And I was like, and now it's, yeah, totally different. I think I want to ask next what your thoughts are on the Australian media landscape. And where you think that this is all going, because my briefs as a director being on like the content side are changing dramatically. I've spent the last two years heavily upskilling in the TikTok space. And mm-hmm. now I'm suddenly pegged as a TikTok expert, but I'm like, no, wait, I'm a director. Stop. I don't want to. I, uh. And like, it's great because I essentially get paid the same amount to work with cinema cameras versus an iPhone, mm-hmm. but it's lost a lot of integrity and my ego is bruised. <laughs> Firstly, how are you seeing the landscape and how are you going to then work with iPhones at L because your social media is so good. Oh, thank you. Both yours and L's is incredibly oh. fast, very up to speed, very entertaining. Oh, thank you. That's so but lovely. Ha- I think, yeah. yeah, it's it's so difficult. I think from a, a, a media in general like landscape, I am so heartened and thrilled obviously by L coming back into print because I just think it's, Mm. even if I wasn't the editor, I would be so excited by that because I just think I deeply, truly, honestly believe that print has a place in the media ecosystem forever. I like, that's just a core unshakable belief that I have. Um, I think it's, it's place will change. And I think that the people that engage with it will be a smaller, more, engaged direct type of customer, yeah. but I think it will always be there. And the analogy I always use is that I worked at movie theaters all through high school and uni. Mm-hmm. And it was just at this time where everyone was talking about DVDs and Blu-ray and how streaming um, was going to kill the cinema experience. And it just never did because there is whatever you can get digitally, there are certain physical experiences that you just, people will never stop going to the yeah. movies. Maybe not as many people go anymore and maybe it's not the as big as it once was, but it will always exist. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about print media. I think a certain type of person who loves fashion and who loves well-written pieces, you're always going to want to experience that physically more than you're going to want to experience it on a screen. Um, So it makes me really, really happy that, you know, Elle is back, Harvest Bazaar is back, InStyle is back. We've got a really robust T Magazine's launch, Cosmo's coming Mm. back, Glamour's coming. Like we have a really robust Australian industry now and I think the most amazing aspect of coming back and starting this job is that, you know, a lot of your colleagues in the industry are also your friends and I have friends that work at all these different titles and everyone is 
uniformly positive and happy that it was coming back into print yeah. because I think we view it as it's better for Australia as a whole and Australian media media and the Australian fashion industry to have lots of titles and to have variation. Mm. It's like stronger for everyone. It's just about being very, very smart with what you do with that. And I think that that was my whole pitch when I was kind of interviewing for the L job was print is so important, but it has to just be one part of this huge ecosystem and mechanism. And we need to be very quick and nimble and smart with adapting as technologies change. I just remember 10 years ago um, when I was working in digital at at Bazaar when it was Bauer, Snapchat came out and we said, (laughs) okay, we've got to launch a Snapchat account. And the whole line was, okay, we're going to wait and see what happens with this for the next 12 to 18 months and then maybe consider it. And and we were just like, you can't function. And that was nearly 10 years ago. But I think now my vision for Elle is part of it is an amazing, beautiful, incredible print magazine, but it's also having podcasts. It's also having really, really good TikTok content. It's having amazing reader-facing events that are in a niche kind of community-based way. It's about working with this issue, for example, with with Sophie. We shot Sophie with this amazing young photographer called Jordan, and then we got this amazing young filmmaker, Phoebe Wolf, to Jordan Malena's photographer's name. Mm-hmm. Phoebe Wolf is this amazing young Australian filmmaker whose work I think is great. And we said to her, You've got access to Sophie for an hour, direct a short film with her. Amazing. And that's running as another thing. So yeah. it's like we want to tap into um, all these different mediums and have Elle existing as this kind of multi dimensional universe that touches. Yeah. I mean, my dream world is like, publishing, having a film festival, having, you know, salon-type literary events with incredible writers, having poetry readings, having film screenings, having... I think it's it's like a universe that you tap into Mm. and the print product is almost the kind of... um, linchpin that everything else is based around. It's at the center of the universe. So people get what this thing is. And then from there, there's a bazillion different ways that it exists. Um, To me, that's what makes sense as a magazine you know, in 2024. That's so exciting the way that you talk about it. For people that may not be watching any of the social media video bites, you're just a little energetic bean talking about it. It's so nice. I feel very excited about it because I I do feel like the company that I'm working for now, um, Jane Huxley, the CEO Mm -hmm. from Spotify, she's just amazing. It just, it's owned by a venture capital fund, Mercury, who's two younger guys from New Zealand, there's this really palpable energy in the building that people mm. get it. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole team I'm working with get it and the senior team understand it. So it feels very exciting that, you know, I can come in like I did and say, I think we should launch an L podcast and this is what I want it to look like and this is what it should be called. And they say, great, go do it. And that's when going to be launching in April. Wow. Um, I know. Very exciting. So if people want to work with you with all these different multifaceted veins that you're building for this ecosystem, mm. how can people, because I guarantee you people listening to Process the Podcast, most of them are creative and most of them are going to be very excited after hearing this. I'm even excited to be like, I want to Yes, get please. given an hour yeah. as a filmmaker, a <laughs> podcast. What? How can people jump on this incredible vehicle that you're creating? I think honestly, like DM me on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you say that. Do you want that? Do you I, really want that? I actually do. I think for me, I mean, emailing is great too. What I would say as well to people is that, and this is just as someone who's been freelance for a long time and has pitched a lot, mm. and. I do tend to get a lot of pitches in or I get people saying, would love to be a part of this. Let me know what I can do. And it's just when you're running a bazillion miles an hour, you actually don't have time to sit and say, well, what you could do is this. Like, It's what the advice I would give to someone listening that would want to do something with us or just in general is to finesse one really, really, really strong idea. What I see a lot from writers is an email with seven ideas that all feel a bit half, mm-hmm. not half asked because I know people put energy into it, but they're all maybe a tad vague or they don't have a really great perspective um, or they're not super niche or there's something that you 
could feasibly read somewhere else mm-hmm. or it could be a digital article. And I think that the thing that really reaches out and the thing that I loved with working with some of the creatives we worked with on this issue is I would say this is have total free reign in your brain creatively. What would you do with this thing? Mm. And then they come back with one idea and it's the one thing that they're desperate to do within this those confines, you know? And I think that's the stuff that really excites me is not someone pitching you know, throwing a lot at the wall and thinking, oh God, I hope one of these is right. And instead thinking, what's the one story I've never seen anywhere else that I'm desperate to write that I will put so much love and energy into because mm. I just need this story to exist in the world or I need this. Something you've got a real fire concept. for. Yeah. yeah. I think that really bounces off the screen and that people really, I as an editor really resonate with that. Um, that would be my advice. But honestly, DM me. It's it's probably <laughs> easier than emailing me or email. You can email too. <laughs> Amazing. The podcast, what's the plan? Because I see like a sheer lux because that's kind of the only publishing kind of pod that's gone to those levels and has that like multi-vein. What's the vision for the podcast? Yeah. So it's called What the L. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> I know. And it's it's just an interview. It's just me interviewing people that I kind of want to interview. It's it's That's so <laughs> fun. It is fun. I think it's just the the references we were looking at is like Talk Easy and those kind of shows um, where you go deep with someone that's really interesting and slightly unexpected, I think. And I have a whole suite, a whole podcast empire in my brain for th- different things that could work for Elle with different hosts and different people. But for mm. now, I just love the idea of just starting with one quite strong sort of flagship um, and then growing This is an there. empire. There's, there's, a, there's like a little empire ticking away in this brain that I... But I love that you just said that there's people backing you that get it. That I mean, that's, it's a really encouraging, exciting thing. And I think that was the thing about this job that was, it's not like I was umming and ahhing, mm. like it's an incredible job, but I, I really tried to make the point when I started talking to Nikki about it of instead of trying to say what I thought she wanted to hear to get the job, Mm. thinking about how do I actually want to do this and what will it look like and presenting that as honestly and authentically to what I believe was the best thing for the brand as possible. And I was lucky that she loved it and that she's backed me as we start to do it. The thing I find the hardest is just slowing down and taking the time to do like one thing at a time very well. (laughs) As you can see, my brain's like (laughs) da-da-da-da-da, 10 years down the track. Um, But it's good. Me and my friend call it the mad scientist, like when you're in mad yeah. scientist thinking mm-hmm. mode. And I know then well. you have to get into details focused, getting it done, executing mode. Um, that's something that Jill, um, Jill Davidson, who's editor of Harvest Bazaar, said to me um, before I left. I, I yeah, can't iterate how much respect I have for her. And she said that a lot of people have really, really great creative ideas Mm. and not a lot of people have really, really great ideas and also follow through and execute them till the end. And that Mm -hmm. if you can do that as an editor, that's a really, really great thing. So I I have that in the back of my brain. When do you start working on the second issue? I spiritually and emotionally (laughs) now, like from tomorrow, the mad scientist is, (laughs) she needs a couple of days off and she'll be back. Um, I mean, I think it will be, I'm getting married in May, so it will be like probably June, July, but there'll be stuff before then. And I have things in my head already. And are you going to move back to um, Australia to do the issues when it's four times a year, so next year? So that's the, the plan was when we discussed it was that would come back to do the first issue, back to London, do the second issue kind of remotely coming back to Australia maybe for a month mm-hmm. and then be back here full time by the end of the year, which wow. is very exciting. Wow. I know. So for everybody that wants to grab the issue, Monday yes. the 4th of March. Monday the 4th of March at every newsagent's, Coles, Woolworths, in everywhere Australia. that you get mad. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Um, and yes, please go out. And and I just, I, yeah, please go out and get it. I was <laughs> going to get really like on a sort of earnest horse, like a high horse, but I just think that I, I really make a concerted effort to consume print media just because I feel like 
I I don't know. I, I think we live in a a culture and an economy right now where we appreciate and love the work of creatives but have almost been trained not to mm-hmm. pay them for their work. Um, and we interact so often with things online for free that are so beautiful and so amazing and so stimulating that we're kind of used to not feeling like we have power to back the things that we want to exist in the world, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that it's something I talked about a lot with Parfum and I think the same is true now. Just, yeah, if if it's something that resonates and it's something that um, you pick up and it seems like something that you will love, it does make a big difference to all of the photographers and writers and stylists and artists and Mm. illustrators who appear in the issue to have something that is read and shared widely. It it actually is a a really huge thing that um, I think is just great for people to support. Well, we'll support it. Yeah. Well, Creative Army, go and get it, guys. <laughs> I love it. So good. Um, as she said, you can just DM her, guys. So just jump DM on me, social media. I'll be on there. <laughs> I really will. I promise. Bye. Goodbye. That brings me to the end of my chat with Grace O'Neill. It was so much fun recording this episode. As you learned, we had never met, but sitting across from her and learning about the care, patience, intention and just downright obsession, I guess, that she is leaning into this new iteration of L Australia with has made me so excited. And it's really cool growing up with L Australia and admiring it from afar and being like, wow, those women editing those magazines and now kind of being able to make friends with them through my own podcast. That's just bizarre, but amazing to me. If you love this episode, please subscribe leave a review for us so I know that you loved it. DM me to give me some feedback or send it to a friend. As you've heard a few times now, I'm all in on this podcast now and I need all the love that I can get to grow it. Next week, we'll be meeting with a familiar face. I think you're going to know this gorgeous, gorgeous Australian. I'm really, really excited for you to hear our chat. She's up to some very, very big things. If you liked the sound of Flaunter, the all-in-one PR tool, head to the link in the show notes to learn more. As I said, it is an affiliate link, so we do get a little kickback, but I hope that you love the tool. I think it's so cool. And as I said, you do get a 14-day free trial. Side note, if you're a creator or an influencer, it's free for forever, which is incredible. I am so excited to have them partner with us for this episode. Thank you. Thank you, Flaunter. And thank you guys for listening. It means the world to me and I will see you next week.